I think skin for me, I don't like to wear a huge amount of makeup during the day. Um, so when my skin is not behaving, I feel pretty self-conscious about it because I don't wear a lot of concealer and I don't want to have a huge amount of foundation on because that's just what I personally feel most comfortable wearing. I just like a light coverage. So it's definitely, if my skin's playing up, it, it definitely impacts my confidence, I've got to say. And, you know, when I'm doing photo shoots and things like that, it's always just a little bit of a pain. If something, you know, you've got pimples on your face and they're following you around. So looking after my skin and getting that routine in check is something that I've actually made more of a priority in the last couple of years. And I'm 31 now. And I think it's important as you get a little bit older to really have that routine in place. Often when you're tired, the last thing you feel like doing is a full routine at night, but it makes the world of difference. And I must say, I've gone from being lazy with my skin to being really on top of it and consistent with my routine. And it works. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to this special Self-Care Sundays mini-series brought to you by Studio Offline and Estee Lauder. I'm sitting down with three of the brand's inspiring ambassadors to have an honest conversation about life on the other side of the filter and their relationship with self-care, sleep and skincare. If you already adore following Nadia Fairfax, Deborah Simond-O'Neill and Eleanor Pendleton, Estee Lauder and I hope you enjoy getting to know them on a deeper level. Across three episodes, my special guests share the life experiences and self-care strategies that have shaped them into the kind, positive and confident women they are today. As always, these are raw, imperfect conversations grounded in reality. You can find more episodes at offlinethepodcast.com or by subscribing wherever you like to listen. And if you fancy seeing behind the scenes, because let's be honest, who doesn't, follow Offline the Podcast on Instagram. I've had so many DMs requesting I sit down for an honest conversation with my next guest. Deborah Simond O'Neill is not only one of the best dressed women in Sydney, but she's also the founder of one of Australia's most pioneering fashion retailers, Mode Sportif. Deborah works fast and hard. What we see on Instagram is of course beautiful and curated, but as you'll soon find out, she dedicates most of her time, energy and ideas to her business and her team. In this honest conversation, she gets real about the realities of founding, running and scaling a fashion retail business. She shares the art behind a successful buy, her perspective on self-care, the skincare advice she got from her mum, the importance of her evening routine, and why she doesn't identify with the label heiress. If you're launching your own brand or starting your own business, Deborah and I hope you learn a lot in this episode. Her positive and practical take on things left me feeling a whole lot lighter. Okay. Here's Deborah and I for this special offline self-care Sundays mini-series in partnership with Estee Lauder. I am so thrilled to be sitting down with you. We were just saying we know each other, but we don't. It's one of those things where we're like one step removed in media, I think because I've seen you a lot. I follow you on Instagram. I've had an incredible amount of DMs asking to have you on. So I'm very excited to get to know you properly. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And I want to say congratulations. It was like quite good timing because a little Instagram pregnancy announcement post yesterday. (laughs) Thank you so much. We're really, really excited. Yes. Um, And how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Mm. I've been describing it as a permanent hangover feeling. <laughs> I've heard this. Um, but I've started to be on the improve, so it's really, it's it's great. I think, you know, going into the second trimester, they say that you get this amazing ball of energy. So I'm just waiting for that to so come, like, come my on way. energy. Yes, come on. Yeah. So you were saying like you usually work real fast and so it's just having to listen to your body and slow it down as it's sort of needed, I guess. Yeah, I think the... Um, 
the change for me throughout my pregnancy so far has just been my energy levels. I normally run a million miles an hour, um, which I love doing and I live off caffeine and I'm going from here to there and I just bounce my way through the day. Uh, And this has definitely made me listen to my body and slow down and feel okay to slow down and not be panicking Mm. about trying to fit 500 things into the day, 200 things will do for now. Um, (laughs) It's like a permission slip, I guess, isn't it, for women? Yeah, exactly. But it's good. I've been listening to my body and just trying to do my best and juggle everything. But it's... um, it's the best position to be and I'm super excited. Oh, it's the best excuse to be tired. <laughs> totally. It's so exciting. Yeah. And like selfishly, I'm excited to see your pregnancy style. Have people said that to you? Because <laughs> it's so hard. Like there isn't too. really much out there. So Yeah, I'm really looking forward to exploring that actually. Um I love watching other people's pregnancy style myself. So it'll be a fun journey of finding my feet with it. And a lot of my friends are like, amazing. We've been waiting to get the maternity <laughs> tips. So I wonder if you'll stock maternity then. Is that a good idea? Maybe. You've probably already thought ne- of that. <laughs> you never know. I think it's also about working with your wardrobe and being able to wear things that you already have in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I'm excited to explore. And as I keep growing, <laughs> we'll yeah. definitely be, um, I'll be learning a bit more about that and hopefully be able to share my tips with everyone as well. Well, we'll be watching on, but let's like rewind from here. Um, I'd love to start with your, which I always do around childhood. Get ready for the therapy. Um, I want to know um, what was your childhood like and then also what were you like as a kid? Well, funnily enough, I have the worst memory ever. Okay, I do as I, well. Yeah. I, why can't I remember my childhood properly? I'm like, it's am I so suppressing? Weird. Um, I definitely find I live so much in the present that I don't remember really a lot of details about my childhood, even though I had such an amazing childhood, my poor parents. Um, But I grew up in a lovely combined family. I've got three older brothers, um, the youngest girl, crazy house, Mm. um, which was awesome. The little girl in the family. Oh, it's like blissful torture. Yeah. But no, I mean, I've got such a great relationship with my brothers. We're all really close. But um, growing up, it was a bit of fun in the house. And there was a huge age age gap between me and my oldest brother. So there was always something interesting going on. Um, And definitely, I mean, for me in my childhood, I was a really happy kid, pretty Mm. uncomplicated. Um, I love dancing. So that was a huge part of my childhood Bright light, smiling, music. Like a Stedford's? Yes, the, oh, the full so on a Stedford game. Wow. So I, um, my mum, we had this such an interesting conversation about it. She used to take me to dancing with my older sister and my older sister, Wendy, loved it. I hated it, but I didn't want to tell her, tell my mum because. Oh my gosh, no. I know. So it's meant I to be used, so fun. I know. So I used to go and I used to cry. At dancing, and then I think because I was such a sad oh, sack, this they used my heart. No, I was like, they used to put me in the back. I think because I was such a downer. <laughs> I think it's like I felt the responsibility of like how much it costs, and you know, it's like big work, at Stedfords and stuff. The costumes, the hair, the makeup, the travel to the different meets and stuff. So I just felt like I didn't have a choice. When in reality, I did. But Mum always like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah. So you loved dancing. I hated dancing. Oh my gosh, but, I I but it's it. so fun. <laughs> it is a business though. Mm. I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. It's a huge discipline. It really took over um, my life pretty much from when I was nine till 17, I would wow. say. It was just massive. Like every day I was teaching, I was competing. Um, it was a huge commitment and actually an amazing discipline. Uh, I think it kind of kept me distracted enough especially as a teenager especially as a teenager it's a it's an incredible interest and if you love it then I think all of the um 
hard work, especially for a young kid, is amazing, but it's so full on. I can understand if you're not into it, why would you want to go and do, you know, all the training and all the rehearsals and putting that smile on your face constantly when you're tired. That Stedford smile. The Stedford smile. I've still got it. (laughs) I can tell. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, Well, when you do reflect on your teenage years, so you spent a portion of them dancing, but if we think about from when you – and why did you finish dancing? Was that just a decision like just – You'd had enough, you were old enough. Got other interests? I actually, I think when I was 17, I just had had enough. Mm. I think I was really wanting to focus on my social life a bit more. It's a huge commitment. I did it for my HSC. I was really involved with it. And I think I just sort of needed to move on. I was ready to go into a bit of a next phase of my life. And I think it takes up a lot of your time. Um, and I sort of felt I was missing out on a few things. Um, even at my um, schoolies, I left halfway through to go to my dance concert, things like that. Um, wow. I was really committed. So I think I decided, you know what, I'm ready to hang up my, my ballet shoes <laughs> for the minute. But it's something that now it's just fun. You know, I love going to a dance class. I love dancing Dude, when I'm out with the girls. Good. Um, so, you know, it's a great, uh, skill and it was a great discipline, I'd say. What during. dance did you do? Pretty much everything. everything. Yeah. You know, Cause it was that thing we jazz. did like contemporary or whatever that thing was or modern, do we call yeah, it? Yeah, modern. Modern. <laughs> <laughs> Where you just used Wasn't to float around. <laughs> <laughs> See that one I actually quite liked because I thought there was a bit of freedom in it. Tap, um, I loved, actually. I wasn't bad at that. And when we used to wear the tassel skirts, there was Oh, my God, I love it. This is really bringing me back. And the scrunchies, which are back now. And the um, the hairspray, I'll just never forget the, like, intense um, smell of, of that. But so when you were, like, when you think about 17 to early 20s, what was that time like for you? Did you go on to study or... So I finished school. I was always pretty studious at school, um, but I had a pretty balanced life. I wasn't spending my entire um, day studying. Like it was important to me and I wanted to do well, um, but I also wanted to have a life. So balance has always been something I've tried to focus on. And then after I finished school, I went to university straight away. um, And I studied a bachelor of arts and sciences and strangely ended up majoring in human resource management. Oh, wow. Which is a bit of an odd mix. How did you get there? I found it so interesting. I really loved it. And I felt um, a lot of the um, subjects in arts are quite um, broad and philosophical in some ways. And I felt that might be really relevant for me um, in sort of a work capacity in the future. And I was just drawn to it. I wanted to learn more and the business subjects is actually what I ended up being really drawn to. So I probably should have done a business degree. Interesting. And then do you reflect now and like, has, did that HR training, is that coming into good use? If I'm going to be honest with you, Mm. my best experience has been through learning at work. Totally. We should talk more about that. I probably shouldn't say that, but. (laughs) No, I totally agree with you. And like, I get a lot of young girls ask about, like, I'm not loving my degree and there's opportunities, should I leave uni and work? And you know, who am I to tell, give you advice to do that or not? But my, you know, one thing I do say is like the study will always be there, but if the opportunity to work is there, then that's never going to come in wrong because it's the same thing. Like everything I know, really I learned on the job. Like discipline as a writer, obviously I learned that through uni, but then it's kind of like you become a good writer by writing thousands of stories and you don't do that until you're kind of in, in play. So no, I completely agree. I think it's, good training? I think for me, uni was about personal development and more Mm. finding out about who I am, what do I want to do, what kind of person I want to be. And funnily, that was something that just came with, I think, the three and a half or four years that I was at uni. But what I really take away from it is more of that personal development rather than what I was learning in my lectures. Mm. And I guess it's like this opportunity to come across people from all different walks of life that you never would have been put in a room with otherwise. Like my uni girlfriends are still some of my closest girlfriends. Do you have that? Like yeah, the absolutely. You yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been in the fashion industry for, I counted 13 years. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I Go know. you. Thank you. <laughs> Done my research. Um, 
I'd love to know about your journey um, in the lead up to launching Mode. So you finished uni. Did you go into a workplace after that or were you straight into? So I actually, I was, my career sort of started, I was teaching dance from when I was about 13. Wow. And then when I finished up dancing, I went straight into retail when I was about 17. So my first job was at Bettina Liano. Oh my God, yes. The jeans were going off. Those jeans. Yes, with the white stitching. You know what ones I'm talking about. I do. (laughs) Um, so I worked casually there a few days a week, um, when I'd finished school and I was at uni and I just fell in love with it. I had always wanted a job in retail ever since I was about 11. Oh, so fashion's always been there. Always there. Mm. I'd always go into a store. I remember Kukai was a big one. I would see the Kukai girls and I would just dream (gasps) of one day. I know. Um, Working in a store was really um, something that I'd always wanted. And then as soon as I finished school, I went straight into that retail work when I was studying. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah, so I had a few jobs. Um, I was working across retail, e-commerce, I was assistant buying, so I'd had a few, Mm. dabbled in a few different areas in the industry, and I'd always had this background dream of having my own store, always. And for me, I I was sort of putting my skills together, and I just felt there was a huge gap in the market. I mean, my business has evolved a lot since we started. Yes, I'd love to talk about that, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it definitely has evolved a lot, but at the time that we launched, Athleisure as a Space was really growing and there was nowhere where you could get it all in one place. There was nowhere where you could learn how do I style my workout pants with a really cool sneaker and an awesome backpack from T by Alexander Wang or how do I do this studio to street dressing. It was something I wanted to pull together. I was going all around the world to get the bits and pieces to pull off that athleisure style that I personally loved. And I thought, why why don't I do this? This could mm. be this concept that I've dreamed of. And it was sort of a bit of a light bulb moment, I guess you could say, where I th- just decided I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Mm. And then so did it start online? Yes. So I, th- I actually thought starting online would be the easiest option. I was a one man band. I thought it would be um, easier to run an online business than having a physical store. I definitely disagree with that That's now. That's so interesting. Um, but yes, we started online and it was such an amazing learning experience. Mm. I mean, I spent a year researching um, the brands that I wanted, traveling, meeting all of the designers. The buying landscape, even in the last five and a half years, has changed dramatically. So for me, it was literally, I had my brand book with the vision of what I wanted the website to be. This little girl (laughs) hanging out in Paris, meeting all the brands, pitching my ideas. Um, It was absolutely terrifying now that I think about it. How did you get the confidence to do that? I I think we're just young, aren't we? We're just so... So naive in the very best way. I think that you've got to get into a character and it's about pitching yourself, pitching the brand. And I think it goes back to performance. Mm. You know, my dancing days, you put on, uh, you're performing. And I think with my building my brand, there's a lot of fake it till you make it. And you've got to sell this vision to people without having anything to show them. And I think that was the biggest challenge, getting the brands on board. And I didn't want to start without having the brands that I wanted Mm. because that really sets the pace and the tone for the business in general. So that was a huge um, hurdle for me to build up a portfolio that I was really proud to launch with. And the brands were really supportive. It actually... That's incredible. I was going to say like, it can get a bit tall poppy here in Australia, but I have heard that internationally they're very receptive to emerging Australian businesses and, you know, that we're seen as pioneers in a lot of ways. But then here locally, you know, your reputation is based on who you're stocking and what brands you manage to get. So it's like I understand the need to kind of start high. So people go, oh, this is a legit operation, yeah, which is a shame. I know. I think it – to be honest, the pressure was more coming from myself, I think. Mm. I, I wanted to start at a certain level. Which Where do you is, think that pressure came from? I don't know. Mm. 
I, th- I do put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, my family is so supportive. They certainly don't put pressure on me. Mm. So it definitely doesn't come from them. But I think I've always had high expectations of myself. And Me too. I just, I don't know. I do, I do it to myself. I know. Some days I'm just like, Alison, give yourself a break. I know. Just, <laughs> me too. I feel you. I know. Well, let's talk about how um, the landscapes change. So you... At what point did you decide to, I guess, pivot from, or not even pivot from, but move into bricks and mortar? What was the decision-making then? So for me, online was such a learning curve in terms of creating the best experience, Mm, navigating the technology. Mm. Um, It's... You're competing with the, the brands that we stock. We're competing with huge online players and that creates a very difficult landscape when you're working in a very different realm of budget and business size and resources. So for me, we had, there were two prongs. One, customers were wanting to try on the product. Um, we're an Australian business. We were catering to the Australian market. We um had our first op- office in Surrey Hills and we had a showroom uh, as part of the office so customers could come in and try things on, have a styling session with me or with a member of my team. And people were loving that aspect. Mm. We were doing a lot of pop-ups. So we had some gorgeous yoga classes with shopping experiences. And I was just finding that that physical touch point with the customer was really adding value to the business and really um, building a trust and working for us um, with our customers. So I thought maybe I should open a store. (laughs) (laughs) And I had always dreamed of having a store. uh, And so I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do it. I think we should try it out. So we opened our concept store in Paddington and it's a small store. So we were dipping our toes in. It was a bit of a test model because it's always pretty scary Mm. um, going into the next phase of a business and trying something new and you don't know how people are going to react. And it's obviously you're signing a lease and all of those types of things. Um, But as soon as we opened the store, I had such an amazing team working with me to open that store and build the relationship with my customers and immediately I knew that that was the right decision, the right decision. and it just complements the online presence and it builds trust and awareness and they really work hand in hand. Mm. For me, seeing the way that customers like to interact with the stores and online, we're a local business, we're a local brand, uh, so for us it's really worked. Mm. It's so interesting. Like what advice do you have perhaps as girls listening who have established their own online business, retail or otherwise, what advice do you have for them in that decision-making process for, because that's a pretty big step financially as well. And the the risk, I guess, is quite high. Like if you think about perhaps some of the lessons or what advice do you have for them in that process? Because what I'm hearing is you kind of tested the market You saw demand for that face-to-face and then you executed on the back of that. Mm. I think for me in terms of of advice, it's really hard because everyone's businesses are so different. So I'm always kind of wary with that. But I will say um, for us, the decision to open our own store, it was a big one, but we buy stock. So we sit on stock and if we don't sell the stock, we get stuck with the stock essentially. Mm, so it was, it, it, it's a scary model in some <laughs> in some ways, um, but that's why it's so important to get the buy right and get the products right. So for me, opening the store was an amazing way to be able to get the stock in front of more people um, and also for us to help us with our sell through. Mm. So as you're a growing business, when you've got, um, you know, X amount of stock to sell, it felt like a natural progression for us. It, even though it was a bit scary, I felt it was a safe a safe option because it was basically opening another avenue of, of traffic. And with the online store, for us, when we opened our store, you've got to invest so much in marketing mm. for people to even see you, know that you exist. The landscape now has changed a lot, I must say, from when I first um, opened Mode Sportif online. It's a completely different landscape now. So 
you know, a lot of my experience would would be irrelevant now. Like it's amazing how much how the space has changed in five years. It's wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but I'd say it's really about looking at your business model and what you need to succeed mm. and taking the steps from there. And yes, you need to take some leaps and it's a bit scary. Um, well, that concept of like you got to spend money to make money, I'm there myself. Where it's every horrifying. time I'm paying an invoice, I'm like, come on, <laughs> flowing out, flowing in, flowing out. Yeah. <laughs> when is it flowing back in? <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> Very scary. Um, I wanted to ask you about the art of buying. I thought there might be some women listening who are quite fascinated in what you do and um, the art behind what you do. I've read for you it's both about seasonal performance and gut instinct. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you buy? So for us, I've definitely, the way that I bought five and a half years ago to now has evolved immensely. Oh my God, let's talk about that. Oh, I mean, the amount that I've learned in terms of data and analytics. So now um, we have a head of buying in our team and she is responsibility for has the responsibility for buying for all the stores. And her and I work very closely together and I'm very involved with the buy, but essentially she does the buy for all the three stores. But um, it's been tricky because I used to do the buy and handing that over. Mm, hard. It's hard, but um, she has such amazing experience and can bring the analytical level that's required. So for, for me, learning about the data is has been amazing. So we analyze our sell-through weekly. We look at it under a microscope. We need to know what is happening in every store with every product, what the missed opportunities are, what's working and what's not. And that's really how we drive everything in the business through to the marketing, um, through to the merchandising within the stores. Um, so the evolution in the buy has really been driven by data. Mm. But in saying that, there's only so much information that data can give you. And we are a small business, so it's super important to work with instinct. And what our customers want from us is newness. They definitely do want direction from my edit and what um, brands that I'm loving and wearing. And what you're seeing overseas, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. What we're seeing overseas and wanting something different and definitely we call it the mode edit. So it's our curation of different brands amongst a, a range of different price points. And at the end of the day, no matter what the data says, if we don't think it was, will sell or if we wouldn't wear it ourselves, we don't buy it. Mm -hmm. It's a big so, thing in being the customer yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I went through a phase of buying for you know, oh, this person would wear this dress and then it never sells because you've got, you know, you need to look at things um, in terms of customers. So we mm. have four mode girls okay. that we use to um, to buy for essentially. So we map out before every season what we currently have for each girl and we have one of each girl in the office, so it's super easy oh, for us so to good. bounce ideas together. What a good recruitment together. strategy. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't planned, but it's fabulous. Um, and so we map out what each of our women, what they're, what they're looking for, what they're buying, what they're not. And then we look at new opportunities with new designers and we break it down into categories and colours and size mm. ranges and things like that. That's incredible advice. Thank you for sharing. I just know there'll be people listening who are embarking on journeys similar to yours. And certainly when I coach, I get asked a lot of questions around how to make sort of strategic and data-led decisions um, and also those journeys to scale, which is kind of you're in that beautiful process of like, you say small and I'm like, that's so interesting because I'm like, I definitely would pitch you at like at least a medium-sized business, three stores. Yeah, we're opening our third store um next month in Mossman, which is super Amazing. exciting. Yeah. So that's a new step. But I guess we have a small team. We run pretty lean and everyone is very stretched. <laughs> um, so I say small business, but yeah. we're growing. Yeah. What's it like um, leading? What's that been like for you? It's been an amazing journey, actually. I think, again, in the past five, six years, I've learnt 
so much about leadership and the best ways to work with a team. And it's certainly changed. My viewpoint on that has changed quite a lot over time. Yes. Um, but I think it's about leading by example and knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your team and yourself and knowing everyone's limits, especially Big in one. a small team. Um, you know, we have a lot of pressure. Everyone is under a lot of pressure because there is so much to do and only so many hours in a day. So for me, it's really about um, working with everyone closely, which I do, and um, hearing when <laughs> there's too much going on. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, I guess I'm very involved in the day-to-day. -day. Mm, sometimes I found that when I was leading teams, sometimes it's hard to hear when it's too much or they're too stretched or... Because, you know, I'm similar to you where it's like I run at a million miles a minute. So I'm like, come on, like, just we can do it. <laughs> so I found those times difficult when it was that sort of like, um, you know, constructive feedback that the workload might have been too much or my expectations might have been too high. And I think my biggest lesson was like for us as young women who we step in and step up into these leadership roles, we're entitled to learn on the job as well. Because it's like often there's an expectation from staff that you'll just be this person that they need you to be. And it's like, well, really in our first sort of like five years of running our businesses and leading teams, we're learning right alongside you. So like give so us true. the space and time to develop as leaders. And we talk about women supporting women. And it's like, that's one thing that other women can do for their female managers is instead of looking through the lens of critique or judgment it's like, what would it look like if you were in her shoes and what do you think she needs from you? And when I started communicating that into my team, it was incredible, the rallying, like for us to be able to admit like, you know, I don't got this every day. <laughs> <laughs> I find this just as hard as you do and I'm like trying my best, but you know, I need your help and support, not always just your criticism and uh, quote unquote constructive feedback. So yeah, that was an interesting thing for me is like, just let me learn too. It's yeah. so interesting that you say that. And I think being a leader is all about the team around you. Mm -hmm. And I am so lucky. I have an amazing, amazing team. And I'm so, so grateful um, for the wonderful women working for me at Moj. Well, great recruitment. So congrats to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a learning curve for me. I mean, I am learning on the fly every single day. I'm not... Um, I'm not professing to know everything by any standards. The amount that I learn every day, every week, every month, and the amount that I've learned in my um, time having Mode Sportive to date has just been incredible. Mm, so good. Um, I wanted to congratulate you on your pretty recent marriage. Thank Can we call you. it recent? I feel like it's recent. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 18 months maybe. It's pretty recent. I reckon it is. <laughs> um so my husband, Tony, is well-documented on this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Tony. Hi, love Tony. <laughs> um, and the, one of the reasons I talk about him a lot is because he's my biggest supporter and sort of champions everything I do. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about Ned and the role he plays in your life because sometimes I feel like we don't talk about them as much as they deserve. Yeah. Ned is my hero. <laughs> he is so involved. Um, so Ned is currently, as an example, project managing the full build of our Mossman store. He's on site every day at 5.30 a.m. so that I don't have to be. Um, he is so amazing. So for me, I mean, as you're saying with Tony, like Ned is so involved in my life. He has, he's a property developer. He runs two marinas. He has a family business. He is so busy himself. Oh my God, and how is he doing all of this? He has so much time to help me with mode and help, I mean, personally and running projects. He is incredible. So I am very, very, very very lucky to have him. And I agree with what you're saying. Sometimes it goes, you know, I'm not shouting it from the rooftops all the time. Um, so I guess, you know, acknowledging how much people in your life do for you that, may, mm. you know, people may not see that every day. Mm. Um, 
but he helps me so much with the business and it really has that family feel, you know, we'll be there painting the walls and <laughs> getting getting into it ourselves. I remember when we were opening both of our stores, um, me and Ned were there till, you know, all hours of the morning screwing things, you know, the racks wow. into the walls and all that type of thing and he's so supportive. I'm really, really lucky. Mm, have you been together a long time? We have. We've been together on and off for over 10 years. So wow. he certainly is the love of my life and he's played such a huge role um, in my life. You know, I met him when I was 19 years wow. old. and How did you meet? I'm now 31. Um, he's my brother's best friend. Ooh, it was the classic story saucy. of <laughs> cute, for cute brother's friend. <laughs> um, I always had a crush on him. What did your um, brother say when you started dating? Oh, my gosh. He thought we were mad. <laughs> um, no, he's always been super supportive. I'm very proud to be partnering with Estee Lauder for this Self-Care Sundays mini-series. Deborah is an ambassador for the brand here in Australia, and I shared with her my theory that many women have an Estee story. And so often that story involves our mums using the iconic brand when we were growing up. Today, my own mum remains an advanced night repair devotee, and so it's now a beautiful skincare tradition she's handed down to me, and one day, I hope to hand down to my kids too. For Deborah, her relationship with her skincare routine is also deeply connected to her mum. Like, my mum uses advanced night repair religiously, and any, like, she doesn't want gifts, she only wants that serum. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I think for me, um, definitely skincare goes back to my mum. My mum is such a natural beauty. She has looked after her skin so well and she sort of told me a couple of things that I definitely have taken um, in my own routine and live by day to day. And the first, th the first thing is having a routine. Mm -hmm. So in the lead up to my wedding, mum sat me down and said, okay, you've been pretty lax with your beauty. Um, I think it's time for you to get a bit of a routine going. Uh, and I know that you'll want that in the lead up to the wedding. So I started to use the A&R serum at night. And that was the first piece of my beauty routine that I got going. And it worked amazingly mm. well. I did a one year before and after pick, and did I you? actually oh God, I have to see this. Could not believe I had never thought that I had bad skin, mm. and you know I was pretty lucky with my skin. But seeing the improvement from using the product for a year and just having that consistent routine mm. was really amazing. So I've got Mum to thank for that, and she also has just always said to me drink lots of water and have regular facials. Oh my God, the water, I'm the worst. I'm it's trying hard. so hard. You know, my thing is because I'm moving around a lot now, carrying like a litre of water, poor me, first world <laughs> problem. It's a good workout. It is a good workout. My bloody back hurts. But that's my, um, that's my challenge actually at the moment is I don't, some days I'm like, oh shit, did I drink two glasses? Um, are you religious with water? You know what? I'm not. Mm. I should be. When I'm at my desk, I'm pretty good. I've got like a fabulous Maison Balzac. Yeah, got to set it there, up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it encourages me gotta to set keep drinking scene. water. Um, but mum has really honed on about that. And I love with skin the glowy, dewy look. Me too. And products is a big one for that. And drinking water mm. um, is so important. So I can definitely feel my skin when it's dehydrated and I need to overcompensate with products when I'm not doing my job on the waterfront mm -hmm. and then tell us about your skin because you said you've been pretty lucky I've just won the battle with hormonal acne oh, oh I can't even tell amazing. you it was intense like and I it you know had the hormones had not sort of rebalanced after last year your skin year. is looking amazing honestly this is like 10 months in the making oh that's so exciting I had to cut dairy oh gluten, wow I started taking a um, probiotic. I don't know if you take one of those. It seems that like everyone takes one. And I was like, Wait, did I miss the probiotic memo? Like, They're amazing. I'm not at the moment, but I probably should. Maybe you should. Well, your, your skin looks straight, but I don't know. I'm getting the pregnancy hormonal. The glow. Um, no, not the glow. Oh. The the, the um, acne's coming through. So I've been having a bit of fun with that. Well, it's pretty incredible. Like I had no idea how much it would show up on my face, to be honest. But I'm susceptible to acne anyway, so I have to work pretty hard at keeping it 
controlled, which is why I should be drinking more water. But um, but no, and then skincare has been my my main game for the last 10 months. Like I've always been pretty consistent, but I let it go. And now I'm like the routine for me, it's a non-negotiable. But tell us about your skin and perhaps your relationship with your skin. Is it something that you've thought about a lot? Some girls do and some girls don't. I think skin for me, I don't like to wear a huge amount of makeup during the day. Um, So when my skin is not behaving, I feel pretty self-conscious about it because I don't wear a lot of concealer and I don't want to have a huge a huge amount of foundation on because that's just what I personally feel most comfortable wearing. I just like a light coverage. So it's definitely, if my skin's playing up, it, it definitely impacts my confidence, I've got to say. And, you know, when I'm doing photo shoots and things like that, it's always just a little bit of a pain. If something, mm-hmm. you know, you've got pimples on your face and they're following you around. So looking after my skin and getting that routine um, in check is something that I've actually made more of a priority um, in the last couple of years. And I'm 31 now. And I think it's important as you get a little bit older to really have that routine in place. Often when you're tired, the last thing you feel like doing is a full routine at night, but it makes the world of difference. Mm. And I must say I've gone from being lazy with my skin to being really um, on top of it and consistent with my routine and it works. Mm. I was saying um, in my chat with Nadia, like for the women listening who, if you just can't be bothered, because I know some people are just like, nah, like with the five to 10 products every night, like because the evening is the time that our body rests and therefore regenerates, it's the same for our skin. So if nothing else, pick the serum, put it on of an evening before you go to bed. And that's like one thing you can do. But can you talk to us a little bit about your evening routine, obviously product wise, but also just your general self-care? Like is your evening important to you? I know some people are really protective of their night times and other people don't so much have. Well, I'm a night owl, so I tend to come alive (laughs) after nine o'clock. Not so much lately, if I'm going to be honest, but normally, yes. So I find um, for me, the issue is more going out. So Mm. if I've got events, if I'm out late to dinners or if I've got something on in the evening, it's when you come home and it's 12.30am and the last thing you feel like is looking after your skin routine and taking all of your vitamins. (laughs) But um, I do all of that at night. So I take all of my vitamins at night and I do my skincare routine and it literally takes five minutes. I mean, a few less scrolls on the gram (laughs) and your skin routine is done. So I think for me, that's something thing um I've just really gotten into the rhythm and it doesn't take that long but the difference that it makes is pretty amazing Mm. I release um offline on Sundays and that was I keep saying this isn't strategic but I'm just a strategic person but the reason I did that is I wanted to give women another moment of self-care on a Sunday versus podcasting can sometimes feel like another thing you have to do to catch up or get knowledge or be down with the latest ones that everyone's listening to. And it kind of gets added to that thing during the week where I better listen to another podcast. So Sundays, I thought, what an amazing time to have a lean back podcast that, you know, asks us to look in and take some rest. I wondered what are your sort of um, self-care things? Like what do you do to care for yourself and your emotions perhaps and your, your body's needs? I find for me, um, Sundays is a great day for that. Um, I try not to schedule too much on a Sunday, especially from 5 p.m. Um, I just like to get into my trackies. I like Mm. to do a face mask. I like to have my socks on. I like to just watch an awesome TV series, listen to a podcast. I mean, Sunday is such a great day for that because you're at home. And I think being at home and enjoying your space in that environment is so important. And when you're super busy, you may leave really early in the day and get home late at night. And Sundays for me is an amazing day just to reconnect with my husband, spend time with my dog and just be able to have a bit of time for myself. Mm, do you cook? I don't. I know. I'm trying to get back into it. I would love to. I, for some reason, my husband's such an amazing cook. I just feel like I can't live up to his. Head. I know. He is the best. So I just, I can't 
beat him. He's yeah. so good. He's so like, I'll just eat your food. He kind of owns that zone. We say that I'm on ambience and presentation and he's <laughs> chef. <laughs> well, that sounds like an amazing duo to me. Um, I wondered if you had any boundaries with your phone or social events, particularly in the evenings, like in order to get the rest you need and maybe different for you now as you transition into a different life stage. But, you know, I've done lots of reading about the impact that blue light has on our sort of not only our sort of mental well-being, but our eyes and our skin as well. So not a lot of people know that it can actually damage your skin. So I have my phone always on 100% warm, which distorts my Instagram feed completely. I know. Nadia was saying she does it. Too. You should definitely try it. I don't it. do it. Should I be doing this? Well, I have it on um, – do you have iPhone or Android? It doesn't really matter. I've got you iPhone. Do it both. So I have it on basically the lowest light settings that I can see it still, but I'm not like – like if I was probably to look at your phone or even if I look at my husband's, it's so bright, it hurts my eyes. So I have it on really low light but then on 100% warm versus I think what they call true tone, which is blue. I'm so impressed. I'm so big on color. I get frustrated if things aren't clear. Honestly. So I don't know that I could actually commit to doing this, even though I know that it's probably better for my health. I know. I will say everything I do creatively has a warm tint. (laughs) I love that. You've got a warm lens to life. That's good. Um, But do you have boundaries with your phone? Like I'm trying to do no phone in the bedroom. Fucking hopeless. It's not working. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't think I could do it. Look, Ned wants to start getting this dock in the house. And when we walk in the door, we put our phones on the dock. I think it's the worst idea ever. (laughs) I am glued to my phone. My everyone, it drives everyone nuts. My email, every time I get a sale on any of my channels, my phone goes cha-ching. Really? Um, How motivating. (laughs) Love it. Um, I love Instagram. I'm always on my emails. You know what? I think the phone is such an amazing tool, but I do, I will say if I need a break, I just don't look at it. Mm. Um, It's something that has taken me a bit of a while, um, especially with the business and being online 24-7 and wanting to be contactable. I want my team to contact me if they need to at any time. But I must say I do now, especially on the weekend or if I've got something personal happening, I do take the time and Mm. I just put my phone away. Mm. And it's okay. I I think it's hard to give yourself that small amount of space, especially when you want to be online for your team. Totally. Um, or, you know, you want to connect with people who are asking you questions on Instagram and you want to be available. But every now and then I do, I do take a break when I need it. It's not mm. as conscious as I'm going to put my phone away and not look at it, but I just sort of now innately know, like I just need a bit of a chill on the charger. Yes, and I don't too need much. to look. Yeah. I don't know. I was interested to hear Deborah's reflections on what it's felt like to become an identity on Instagram and also to grow a following. I feel like it's like standing on a bridge and to the left there's your true self and who you know yourself to be and to the right there's the perception of who you are. It's kind of a weird thing because I think perception versus reality is just so different. Mm. I love Instagram. I think it's such a great tool and I think that everyone, it's up to, I mean, it's up to me what I choose to share. I've got control over that. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm a really open person. So mm. what you see on my Instagram is very close to real life. But, you know, not all the boring moments are on there because no one wants to see me sitting at my desk working. <laughs> um but I think it's something that's just happened quite organically. Mm. It's another arm. It's sort of started as another arm to the business. Uh, it's definitely an amazing community. I really enjoy yeah, being nice able to connect with lots of different people that maybe you wouldn't have been able to connect with before. And I love being able to connect with my customers. I, I get emails, uh, d- direct messages, sorry, asking for styling advice for p- different events that customers who follow me on Instagram are going to. And How just good. having that immediate connection mm. is so cool. But I definitely do think that what you see on Instagram, you can't formulate a full opinion of a person based on that. I mean, you mm. have to take it for what it is. It's a photo reel and a video highlight reel of someone's life. Um, so I do think there's sometimes a bit of a gap between what people think 
um, based on what they see on Instagram mm. or any kind of social media versus real life. Mm. And I think especially hard work is something that kind of gets lost on Instagram because, um, you know, you have a photo of something great that you did in an event that day and people think that, you know, maybe that's all that you did. Yeah, that's 2% of <laughs> In the day. day, I'm like, oh, my gosh, if only you could see mm. the rest. Well, I have been like in some of these conversations, I have been – I guess, challenging us as talent to think about is there more we can be sharing? Like is our assumption that, and I do this too, where I'm like, well, yeah, it's like midnight and I'm just still at my laptop in my tracksuit pants answering the hundredth email. Is it right for me to assume no one wants to see that? Or is that actually really helpful for somebody else who's following going, oh my God, I'm I would love to see that, that actually. That. Now that yes. you're saying that, I'd be like, "Yes, girl, you got yes. this. Keep going." <laughs> um, so it's an interesting thing to think about. Anyway, it's like every now and then, is it good for us to, you know, show the reality of the day so that it kind of normalizes, you know, because so much of what we do is we're so privileged to be invited to such incredible brand experiences, and but you know, I try and talk about that too, like when I'm at an event, I'm working and so are you. And what's involved in that working is me representing my brand, talking about my work, building relationships with marketing teams and PR teams. And there's a lot that goes into it. So yes, the one photo that goes on Instagram isn't really reflective of getting home at 12.30am, having done a deal maybe. Yeah, it's you know? so it's so true. Mm. And it's a it's an interesting one. I, I mean, I love following people on Instagram and seeing what they've got going on in their day to day life. And I'd love to see, you know, you sharing your photo at twelve thirty AM. Maybe I should do it more myself. But sometimes I feel like if I'm gonna be honest, I feel like I'm complaining if I do that. Yes. And it's that weird um Mm. It's that weird dynamic with myself where I don't, I'm not complaining mm. by posting that I'm just sharing, but I'd hate mm. for it to be perceived that way, I guess. Mm. This is interesting. I love that dialogue because it's like there's a barrier to sharing because you don't want to come across a certain way. Maybe interesting one for us to ask our audiences, you know, whether it's like you want more laptop trackies or no. Yeah. Guys, what do you want? <laughs> Tell <be> us. <laughs> um. How do you balance public and private then? So I think it's a fine line and we've sort of covered this a little bit already, but how do you think about that? Like, is there just areas of your life that you're like absolutely off bounds in terms of sharing or you don't think about it that deeply? I actually don't really think about mm. it. I'm pretty open, I must say. Um, I share a lot. I share a lot with my life with Ned, um, what we do with our family, what I've got going on at work. I'd say I am pretty um, open. There's no areas of my life that are off limits as such. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're only seeing a certain amount because I'm not going to post every moment or I'm not going to have a life of my own. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a question and it was one I was – really curious to know and, you know, you'll be comfortable or not comfortable answering it. I wanted to know, has it been difficult or not at all to grow up with the label heiress? Is that how you say it? Heiress? This is such a weird word. Like where er did this even? Heiress? Heiress. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't grow up with this title. Okay. It's something that has been released in the media the last couple of years and it's just now like once in a blue moon in the newspaper, I'll be referred to as an heiress. Um, I certainly It's pretty full on. I certainly don't associate with that. Or identify personally. with that. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that I really have any other feelings about my day-to-day -day mm. life. It's just sort of every now and then it's thrown out there. Mm. Um, but I'm a pretty chilled person. Mm. I don't think that that, um, that titles really applies. And I think for someone um, like me who has their own business, I guess I've put so much energy into building something of my own. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with the um, title heiress in any way, shape or form. But I do think it semi implies that you don't have your own pursuits. Mm -hmm. um, so what I would say about that is, you know, I'm working very hard to build something of mm -hmm. my own. Um, 
But it's a bit of a weird word, isn't it? It is. I was just, it wasn't, I've actually never said it out loud until that point. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can pronounce it. Oh my I don't God. think I have either. You have grown and cultivated an incredible business on your own two feet. What's it been like um, having that kind of business acumen around you? And is there some sort of mentorship as well where like what an incredible resource to draw down on? Yeah. I think my family has been so supportive for me in this journey. I mean, my dad um, has guided me so much. He has such a huge success um, of his own um, business and all of his work pursuits and life pursuits for that matter. So he's been a huge mentor for me. And I guess maybe one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own business because I was so proud of what he Mm. has achieved and I thought it was so amazing. I kind of wanted to do something myself. Um, And my mum as well, like both of my parents have always worked full time. They've done the full on juggle um, and mum is literally my rock day to day. I call her on the way to work. I call her on the way home from work. She gets the full debrief on everything that's happened throughout the day. And so family is a huge part of the mentor um, program for me with my business. Um, And it definitely is not easy. I've got to say, I think some people do have a perception that you kind of cruise through the day and you've got a team and you don't need to do that much. (laughs) Um, And I will say for anyone looking to start their own business, it is a huge undertaking. And I certainly, I think myself, I was not aware of how much it would involve when I got started. I had so much advice from people. I was really keen to talk to many different people in the industry before I started Mode. And I think half of the advice I just completely ignored because Mm. I was so um, hell-bent on doing it. Um, But it is is hard. Mm. And I think it's important to talk about that and for people to know that. And you've got to be prepared to put in the work. But it is so rewarding. It is, isn't it? It is. It's so rewarding. And that's why we all keep doing it. Mm. So, um, I end every episode with the same question. And if you've listened to some episodes, you might know what it is, or you might've forgotten. I know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So offline exists as an exploration of self and who are we without the labels that we put on ourselves, but also as we've just discussed, other people put on us. So when you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you? I think that's a really amazing question because well, it's something you. that I personally never think about. Mm. Um, you, you're very much associated with what you're doing at a certain time. And I think I've spent so much energy and so much of myself building my business and the business profile that I've kind of morphed into the label that that has made for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super important to look at your true self and see who am I? what am I doing aside from business as mm-hmm. well? It's not all about what you've got going on at work. It doesn't, that doesn't define who you are. Um, it's a huge, huge part of it. But I do think it's important to sit separate from that as well sometimes. Mm. Um, and for me, I guess true self, um, I'm still finding my feet. I mean, I'm learning every single day. I'm a 31-year-old woman. I'm super excited to be um, entering into the next um phase of my life learning how to be a mother which is super exciting but I think it's all about being a good person and that's something that I really do try and focus on in all aspects of my life Um, and sitting with my true self I'm I'm happiest knowing that I'm doing my best in all the areas of my life not only work and I think that's um, super important to remember. Mm, That's a beautiful answer and I have to say you know, you you have a very um, incredible reputation. So anyone I've spoken to about you has said that you're just positive and a light and you're kind and friendly. And That's so nice. Yeah. So just so you know, because we don't always Thank hear you. that about ourselves. We don't often get that feedback. So I want to say like, yeah, you have, um, you have a great reputation and um, exceeded in this room because that was a joy. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And I learn a lot. Now I'm like, I want to buy fashion. (laughs) I feel so inspired (laughs) too. I've loved this chat. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. 
you can find more episodes at offlinethepodcast.com or by subscribing wherever you like to listen. Original music by Darren Lake, produced by Podpaste. One last thing. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. 